hymns. For those that are unaware, the author of that hymn lost his daughters in a boat accident, drowning in the ocean. And uh, as he came across to where the accident had occurred, the words of this hymn sprung forth. And the only way that happens is because of Christ Jesus and him being your greatest treasure. And as we studied last week, the rejoicing in hope. It's the rejoicing and hope that causes us to be patient in tribulation because nothing can steal Christ from us. Nothing can steal our greatest treasure. No tribulation can change that. And uh, so I'm grateful for that song. When my father died, particularly, it was uh, a great ministry to me. As we continue in Romans 12, we actually make it to verse 13. And for those of you, this is your first Sunday with us. We've been in Romans 12 for about four years. And... uh, we are, we've actually progressed from 9 through 13. We, we've studied, we began in Romans 12, 1. After a study, we walked through the book of Galatians on what was, what is the gospel word. And we transitioned when we finished Galatians to Romans 12 and what is the gospel community. In Romans 12, 1, Paul says, therefore, he seems to believe that the gospel should make a difference in our lives and not just something to be accepted. The gospel is something to be lived and something that we can't help but live as the gospel truly grips our hearts. It flows out of us, not something we're conjuring up. It's not a work of us. It's a fruit of Christ being in our lives. And so we've been walking through Romans 12, and we studied the earlier verses, 1 through 8. And when we hit verse 9, there are 13 imperatives. An imperative is a command. What's an imperative? There are 13 imperatives in five verses. How many verses? And so we will actually get to number 12 and number 13 today, should the Lord give us the rest of this time together. We have covered the first 11 in the first four verses there, 9, 10, 11, and 12. But today we are going to study uh, in verse 13, and we'll study two, uh, the last two vital signs. And I picked at Byron saying, man, it would be tough to mess up this sermon, but it's possible. Uh, the sermon said, the verse says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, and uh, so you can spend a lot of time pondering, what does this mean? What is the depth of this verse? Uh, I think it's pretty clear for us, right? So I could probably just say, do this and then sit down and let's go to lunch, right? Amen. Well, if you know me, I'm not going to do that, am I? So let me start by saying this. The more gospel-saturated we are, the more generous and hospitable we will be. The more gospel-saturated we are, the more generous and hospitable we will be. Matter of fact, friend, we won't be able to help it. The gospel will pour out of us into generosity. The gospel will pour out of us into being hospitable. What I mean to say is that a heart that is captivated by the gospel leads to hands that open checkbooks and doors. A heart that is captivated by the gospel leads to hands that open checkbooks and doors for the needs of the saints as well as the kingdom. In a simple way to see this passage, resources are going out and guests are coming in. Resources are going out as we contribute to the needs of the saints and guests are coming in. Last night, Tara's dad, who graduated from the law school at Ole Miss, uh, but he has recently learned to read. He, uh, <laughs> which is, 
rare from Ole Miss. But uh, he and I and Arabella went to the game together last night. And being men, uh, we didn't bring a jacket for Arabella because we're men. And though there was great suggestions from the women in our lives of take the jacket, we're like, we don't want to mess with that. Uh, so we uh, launch out, as men do, ill-prepared and, and silliness. And so we took Arabella to the game in her cheerleading outfit. And uh, sure enough, the sun eventually sets, right? You know that. Uh, you just don't think about all those things, so many details. But uh, what was really incredible was there was a man sitting behind us. And Arabella was actually asking for food. And uh, it didn't matter what it was, cotton candy, icy, lemonade. It's amazing how insatiable children's desires are when there's stuff to be had, right? And, uh, and so she was asking for food. And, uh, but the gentleman behind me said, if she's cold, he said, I have an extra blanket. He said, I brought a blanket and a sweatshirt, and you guys are, are welcome to have it. It was he and, and his son. And so later on, she was asking for something else to eat as well, not cold. But he leaned down again and said, if she wants the blanket, she can have it. And, uh, and sure enough, by the fourth quarter, she was wrapped in that blanket and fortunately sitting in granddaddy's lap. But there was nothing to see if you were an Ole Miss fan anyway, so he didn't miss anything. But uh, I just couldn't help but thinking... Uh, how refreshed we were by this man's generosity. And it was not begged. It was, it was unprompted. He just gave. He just gave. And it was a desire that was there. And, and friends, uh, we want to be those that are refreshing the lives of others. And we're offering before they ever ask. We're seeing needs, and we want to work to meet those needs. When Byron and I led in chapel at uh, New Orleans Two weeks ago now, we had the chance to go to lunch with Dr. Kelly, and I'm always grateful for those. Dr. Kelly is a, is a true uh, treasure for New Orleans Seminary, and I would encourage you to pray for him. If you, if you don't often, I would encourage you to pray for Dr. Chuck Kelly as he leads that seminary for God's wisdom and sensitivity to the Lord's Spirit. But we went to lunch, and he shared a story. You know, I was born in Port Arthur, Texas, and that's what Miss Eunice Janusa and I tend to talk about most because she's from that area as well. And Dr. Kelly is from that area. He's from Beaumont. And uh, so we talked about that for a moment. And he shared a story of a man who was a part of an oil company that became very, very wealthy. Uh, And he would give tons of that money away. But due to a downturn, that man lost everything else he had and ended up living in a shelter across from their church there. And one young man came to him one day and said, Do you regret giving all that money away because you could have it now and and the man who was in the shelter said you don't get it do you he said all the money that i gave away is the only money i'll be able to keep forever he said i don't regret it one bit friends if the church is not generous and the church is not hospitable and the church does not have an eternal perspective on what treasure is really about then we'll never make a difference in this world let's stand and read romans twelve thirteen and ask the lord to speak to us Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Father, we are grateful for your word. Thankful that you've preserved it, that we can have it, that we can study it. As always, we're grateful that it's in English. And we are mindful that there are over 1,500 languages that are without scripture. And as always, Father, we ask, would you send people out to translate the scriptures into those languages? Father, would you bring your word to all peoples? Father, I pray for your spirit to light this passage up 
It seems very simple, but Father, we need your spirit to not only light it up, but to burn it into us and produce it in us. Would you help Crosspoint to be the place where we contribute to each other's needs? Would you help Crosspoint to be a place that we seek to show hospitality? We pursue it. Father, I pray now for your spirit to teach us. Give us ears to hear. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. John Piper has said, how we handle our money and possessions is the barometer of how we trust God and treasure Christ. How we handle our money and possessions is the barometer of how we trust God and treasure Christ. You want to know how much you trust God or how much you treasure Christ, then just look at how you use your money and your possessions. Vital sign number 12 on your outline there is contribute to the needs of the saints and What we're called to do is contribute to the needs of the saints. It means that we should be particularly good at taking care of our own. I would submit to you, it is not the government's responsibility to take care of our people. It is our responsibility. If our friends need food, if our brothers and sisters need food, friends, that's our kingdom responsibility. If our brothers and sisters need shelter, that is our kingdom responsibility. If our brothers and sisters need medical attention, that is our responsibility. Do not let the government outshine the church in meeting the needs of Christians. It's been said that uh, in the early days after, uh, in the early days of the church, that they did such an incredible job of taking care of one another that letters were written back to Rome about the care that they took of one another as well as even pagans is they would seek to show generosity and hospitality to them. Would the same be true of us? Boyce has said that Paul is not talking about just financial needs, as we see in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. It's not just financial. How many of you know you have more needs than just financial needs? You know you have some emotional needs and some certainly spiritual needs. Well, if a person is mourning, we should identify with him in his sorrow and give what comfort we can. If another is lonely or abandoned, we should be company for her to the degree we are able. So when we see this, contributing to the needs, let's not just put the blinder on and think financially. Friends, we all have lots of needs. We know that. And we want to be the ones that are working to meet each other's needs. We want to be used by God's. We also want to be willing to seek help when needed. How many of you know sometimes it's difficult to ask for help? We have pride, and we don't want to be dependent on one another. But friends, this is what it means to be the body. There are going to be times that I help you, and there are going to be times you help me. And we can't be so prideful that we don't ask for help. We must be willing to ask for help when it comes our time to to need it. And we must be those who've given help along the way so that it's there. Let me give you the eternal significance of why does this matter. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Why should we do this? Let's look back up in Romans 12, and let's read verses 4 and 5, because it's been a while since we encountered them. Verses 4 and 5 in Romans 12 say this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Why should we contribute to the needs of the saints? Well, the obvious reason I can tell you, first of all, is because it's a command from the Lord. You're either going to do it or be disobedient. But the reason that I want to land on here is we are one body. How many of you have ever had a headache in South Louisiana? Anyone ever had a headache? Have you ever thought about this? When you have a headache, here's what occurs. Your feet walk you to the medicine cabinet. Your hand reaches out and opens the door. 
your eyes scan to be able to see the bottles. Your brain processes the words, the letters that are on the bottles. Your hand reaches in and gets that bottle. Your mouth opens up and receives the medicine and the water. And then the deeply scientific term, your innards, disseminate that medicine. And I never understand that when I have a headache here, how it goes down and then up. I don't know how that works. That's something scientific that's interesting to me. I need Mythbusters to do a project on it. But your innards disseminate it. And all of these body parts are working because one is in pain. One is in pain. Friends, the gospel community should be no different. When are you and I going to realize we are a body together, not individually? We should be working to meet one another's needs. Why should we contribute to the needs? Because if you're not well, it could lead to the rest of us not being well. If you have need, it could lead to the rest of us getting, having needs. So we want to work because we are dependent on each other for the health of the body. We want to work toward that as we understand what the gospel community is, and we should be no different. Let me give you another reason. So reason number one why it matters is we're a body. Reason number two is Jesus thinks it's pretty important. Turn to someone next to you and ask this question. Are you a sheep or a goat? And then turn to Matthew 25. Some of them may be kind of goaty. You never know, but Jesus tells you how you can tell the difference. Turn to Matthew 25. Why should we contribute to the needs of the saints? Well, one, we're one body. When one part hurts, it should affect the rest of us. But number two, <laughs> Jesus thinks it is eternally significant that we contribute to the needs of the saints. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 31, it's written in red in my Bible. That's how you know it's really Jesus' words. I'm just kidding. Some of you are going to take that literally. They're all Jesus' words. Okay? All right. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. You see that, friends? All the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. How many of you know which group you want to be in? You know how this is going to turn out. How many of you know you want to be a sheep? All right. I won't raise your hand in case any of you actually want to be a goat. We will need to stay afterward for a few moments. Verse 34 says, The king will then say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom and prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. How many of you sound, those sound like needs? Those sound like needs, hunger, food, clothing, visitation, hospitality, right? Here's the interesting thing. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we do this? I have never physically seen Jesus and offered him a Mountain Dew, right? So when, when did we see this? They're asking. And here's what he says. And when, he says this. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
You see, friends, when we contribute to each other's needs, we're not just contributing to Amy's needs. We're not just contributing to Michael's needs. When we do that, we're contributing to Jesus. We're meeting Jesus' needs, as he says in this picture. It's eternally significant. And he says, you want to know who are mine? They're the ones who feed and clothe and visit and host. That's how you can tell who's who by what they do, what flows out of them. He will say to those on his left, in verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. John says this in 1 John chapter 3 about the importance of meeting the needs of our brothers. He says in verse 16 of 1 John 3, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Here's what Jesus and what John are both saying. When you give someone food, when you clothe them, you're not earning salvation. Their point here is that you're evidencing salvation. It is not an earning. It's not if we do all these things. The point of Jesus and the point of John is you can tell who I'm really alive in because they'll do what I would do. They will take the goods that have entrusted them and they'll meet the need. If you see your brother in need and you close your heart to it, John just makes a logical conclusion and says, how can you think you follow Christ? How can you think that you're alive in Christ? if you're not contributing to your brother or sister. And Jesus is telling you, look, when you do it, it's more than just them. It's me. You're ministering to me. So it is eternally significant, not in earning, but in evidencing the truth that the gospel is in us because it flows out of us. God has obviously given us provision to give. We studied earlier in the summer from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and that's where we have memorized our verse Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. But some of us would say, well, you know, we, we don't have a lot to give. Well, listen, that's different from what 2 Corinthians 9 says. In 2 Corinthians 9, we, we see three truths. We see that God gives before we give, God gives so we can give, and God gives after we give. The truth is, friends, we don't lack to give. God gives before we give, God gives so that we can give, and God gives after we give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. How do we know God gives before we give? He says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. In verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
will supply and multiply your seed. God gives before we give. But God gives so that we can give. Look at the rest of verse 10. So he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? Sowing. For sowing. God gives so that we can give. The purpose isn't just for us. The purpose is that we can give. So he gives before we give, and he gives so that we can give. And then look at what happens after you give. It says, that following that, you will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. God gives after we give. Randy Alcorn, I think, has said it best. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living. That's what the world will tell you. You need a bigger house. You need a better car. You need cooler clothes. You need every gadget that Apple makes. The world will tell you, you need all of these things. But God raises our standard. Uh, God provides for us not to raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. As we think about this, we are challenged to contribute to the needs of the saints. Well, we see right here uh, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, friends, we have. What are we doing with what God gives us? But I want you to think, how has God contributed to the needs of the saints? How has God contributed to the needs of the saints? Well, back in Romans 12, let's go back to Romans 12, and let's go back to the very first verse, Romans 12, verse 1. I want to challenge you in two ways. As God is saying to us, contribute to the needs of the saints. I want to show you how he's contributed to your needs, particularly your greatest need. Romans 12, 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the what? Mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God has contributed to our needs. What are two ways he's done that? The very first one is here. God's given us his mercies. Everything that we have studied in Romans 12 is dependent upon God's mercies. It's not do all of Romans 12 and then you'll get God's mercies. It's because we've received God's mercies, we are now empowered to live Romans 12. And so the greatest need that he's given you is his very mercies. But then the question comes, do you know how he's made that available to you? Do you know how you have been able to receive the mercies of God? It's because of a verse we learned. Thanks be to God for what? His inexpressible gift. Who is God's inexpressible gift? Jesus. See, friends, the reason we have received the mercies is because Jesus received the wrath. God has given us his inexpressible gift. When you think about contributing to the needs of the saints, God has contributed to your greatest need. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ. Your greatest need is to be reconciled with the Father. And the means to do that, the only means, is his son Jesus. And so the reason we have mercy is because Jesus took all of the wrath for our sin. So the words justification and redemption can be spoken over us because propitiation was spoken over Christ. Think about this, Romans 8.32, back a couple chapters, just said this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the reason we give is not because of guilt. Friends, the reason we give is because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel. We have had our greatest need met by God. He has contributed, and friend, he was all in. You can't, get any, uh, you can't get any more great in giving than to give your very son, Jesus, who's innocent of all sin, and then lay on him the sin of the entire world. 
And so the reason that it matters is, friends, we should be generous givers like our father and our brother, Jesus. The world ought to be able to see the family resemblance in us. This isn't guilt-driven. This isn't say, hey, be a better person, give. This is be a gospel person who's received, and it flows out. And the more you grasp God's generosity to us, the more generous you will be because it flows out of you. That's gospel-driven giving, and it should be true of us. When we do this, I've put a list there for you. I won't turn this to 2 Corinthians 9 because of time. But when we contribute to the needs of the saints, you'll find these in 2 Corinthians 9. It's in the outline for you. First of all, the needs of saints are met. Many thanksgivings are going to be offered to God. The reality of the gospel in us is affirmed. Prayers are offered for us, and God is glorified. You'll find those if you go back in 2 Corinthians 9. I put them there to say, look, when we contribute to the needs of the saints, these are the things that happen. First, the needs are met. Two, thanksgivings are going to be offered to God. When people receive what we supply, they're going to know that it was God that ultimately provided. They're going to pray, and they're going to thank Him. Three, the reality of the gospel in us will be confirmed. You know why they did that? You know why they sacrificed? Because the gospel is truly in them. The gospel is truly in them, the evidence of it. Prayers will then be offered for us. Who would say, I don't want more prayers offered for me? Who would say, I I don't like it when people pray for me? Friends, perhaps people would be doing more praying for us if we were more generous in our giving. Perhaps more people would be praying for us if we contributed more to their needs. Most importantly, God's glorified. I'm going to spend just a moment to say, why don't we do this? Why don't we contribute to the needs of the saints? I think one of the primary reasons is fear. I think we have fear. We don't trust God to provide. And two, we see security in finances. How's that working for you these past few years? And we think we don't have enough. How many of you have seen that commercial that has the dollar figure? What's your number? What's your number? And and you have to have a certain number before you retire. Have you seen those commercials? What's your number? You know the beauty of being a Christian? You don't need a number, friend, if you know the God who provides. Let's not work for a retirement number, friends. Let's store treasure in heaven. Don't let fear dominate us. You know why we're fearful? Because we don't take enough time to smell the roses. And what I mean by that is we don't consider the birds or the flowers, as Jesus told us to. How many of you have ever seen a bird cash a check at Capital One? How many of you ever seen a little squirrel scurrying around to Regions Bank? Anyone? You've seen some squirrely people, maybe, in banks, <laughs> but not a real squirrel. Jesus says, you see that bird? That bird will eat today. You see that flower? Do you know why it's clothed? Do you know why a rose smells like a rose, friends? Because God has provided for that rose. And then Jesus makes a powerful statement. He says, My father cares way more about you than he does birds and flowers. So why would we live in fear? Jesus is saying, store treasures in heaven. And then he immediately says, don't worry then about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Your father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. Friends, fear never dominates a gospel-saturated heart. Because we understand our father who's given us so much. That's what Romans 8 said. How will he not graciously give us all things? You have a heavenly father who thinks eating is good for you, who thinks shelter is good for you, who thinks clothing is good for you. Trust him. Don't be afraid. 
Don't work for a retirement number unless that number you're working for is the treasure you're storing in heaven. And you want more and more and more to be stored there. Fear. Here's the second reason why we don't contribute to the needs of saints. We're just greedy. We're selfish. We're greedy. I thought it was interesting. I probably shared with you uh, a while back. The Kentucky Baptist Convention has increased. The, the churches have increased in receipts from $200 million to $300 million. So the churches are receiving more money today than they ever have in the past by $100 million. I mean, you would say $100 million is a significant amount of dollars. It is. I mean, I've got a bit of it rolling around out back, but, you know, $100 is not bad, right? Here's the incredible thing about Kentucky Baptists. In the same time that they have increased in money, their cooperative program giving has gone from 10% to just over 6%. So they have more money than they ever have, and they're giving less than they ever have. Well, why would that be? Where's it going? Well, uh, I would say themselves. And by that I mean the churches themselves, not just the people. I, I think David Hankins, our executive director, is right. And two of the largest blockades to the gospel getting to the nations are our own people, our own pocketbooks, and our own churches. I preached in a church this semester that is $19 million in debt. They have some great buildings, though. They're awesome. But I'll take a bubble any day. I'll take a bubble any day to be able to give and not be a slave to the lender. My problem over the past few years is I've confused needs and wants. And the world helps us confuse that. And it shows all these wants that are real needs when they're really not. And friends, what we must do as the church is ask God to show us what are my real needs and what are wants and help me to order my life for the sake of the gospel. One of the reasons that our people can't give more is because they are too much in debt, which is why we've offered the Dave Ramsey classes, which is why we've offered Crown Financial classes, because we want to help equip you to be able to contribute more to the needs of the saints, not just give more to the church. It's not about us. Friends, it's about our kingdom responsibilities. So reason number one why we, I think we don't give, we're afraid. We don't really believe God will be a good father that will provide for us. We keep thinking, I got to do it. I got to store it away. Just remember the guy who had all the barns and was going to build bigger barns. What happened to him? Yeah, he never got to go to Branson, did he? No. His soul was required of him that day. Friends, it's not about bigger barns unless you're storing that stuff in heaven. Two, it's not about greed. We tend to be selfish. The third reason I put there is I think we lack compassion. Ultimately, we just don't have God's heart toward our brothers and sisters. We must lack compassion if we're not moved to give on their behalf. I want to close out this portion then on, on contributing to the needs of saints by saying I believe overall that Crosspoint is a very generous church. I believe overall that Crosspoint is a place where we're living Romans 12. Last year, we contributed over $70,000 to the cooperative program, and we contributed 70 more thousand to other missions endeavors. How many of you remember the Sanji family? Remember Dave and Wendy Sanji? They were a Katrina family, and they showed up here, and Crosspoint met need after need. We ultimately provided a van for that family and it was incredible because Dave then at his job had someone who asked, you had a church that provided a van for you? 
And David was able to say, yes, that's the gospel, friends. And that opens up doors for the gospel. I think about how when the Moors, when Tony had surgery and, and countless of our people stepped up immediately and said, what can I give to help if they need it? And ultimately seeing God's provision, meeting all those funds. Here recently we've helped one of our single mothers with some things that she had needed done around her house. Friends, there are countless people who come through here that we help week after week after week. And I think one of the greatest pictures of Cross Point being generous to contribute to the needs is what we call Grace Baptist Church. Friends, I think it's a great picture of the generosity of the folks that are here that we want to give for the sake of the kingdom. I want to challenge you in, in a way that you can give to the saints that's coming up. It's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We say that goes to missions. I understand. But you realize there are Christians that are spreading the gospel. And they have needs. And the way that those needs are met is because of how we give. What will you and your family give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? 100% of that offering goes to our brothers and sisters that are on the field sharing the gospel. 100%. doesn't go to Richmond. It goes to the ends of the earth. And the reason it's important is over 57% of the IMB's budget is now dependent on the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in the way that it's, they've set themselves up. I want to encourage us. Let's meet the needs of our brothers and sisters that are out there so they can spread the gospel. All right. Vital sign number 13. Seek to show hospitality. As we round out these imperatives, the last one is seek to show hospitality. What is this? Well, has it ever occurred to you that there was a time before Motel 6 left the light on for people? You ever thought about that? And what did they do before Motel 6 left the light on? Uh, well, they brought them into their homes. That's what they did as people travel. Uh, the idea behind hospitality is it's drawing others in, not just for meals now and then, but to stay with you if they need a place for a season. In times of official persecution, it was dangerous and a subversive practice. For some today, it still is. It was and is a radical way to live. This was the meaning it had in the early church, bringing folks into your home for the sake of the gospel, letting them in, even strangers. The idea behind this word is even strangers, not just the saints, but even strangers. Uh, there is a difference, though, between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless. The food must be well-prepared and abundant. The host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Don't you love that? When you're the host, oh, there's nothing. I just put this together this afternoon. Ah, right. And inside you're like, I'm lying. Right. You know, the real story. Right. We appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, in contrast, focuses on the guests, their needs, whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance. These are the primary concern. Hospitality can happen in a messy home. I shared that with my wife. I don't have to clean this up. I can be hospitable with our laundry on the couch, right? She didn't agree. But <laughs> hospitality can happen in a messy home. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. Believers should not hesitate to offer hospitality just because they're too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. Look at the key word here in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. 
How many of you know seeking to show hospitality is different than accidentally showing hospitality? Please don't miss the command here. He says that we should be looking for opportunities to be hospitable. We should be intentional hosts rather than accidental hosts. We should be looking for opportunities for the sake of the gospel to bring people into our homes. And not just once a year at Thanksgiving or Christmas, but a constant attitude and practice. Our homes and apartments should constantly be ready for strategic hospitality, a readiness to welcome people who don't ordinarily live there. One of the things that I was encouraged by by the pastor search team when I came here was the Halls, who'd gone to Lamar Dixon after Katrina and brought multiple families into their home. Say that's seeking to show hospitality. That's what encouraged us as Tara and I had done similar things. Now, I want to encourage you, it's not just how we show hospitality. It's not just what we do, but how we do it. It's not just showing hospitality, but how we do it. How many of you know you can open your home and be upset about it the whole time? Uh, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, because we want to see the proper attitude for hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'll start in verse 8, because it's always good to remember. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 8, here's what it says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What a great word. You should meditate on that. But for our purpose, I want to move forward to verse 9. Show hospitality to one another. And then what's it say? Without grumbling. And then do you see why it says that? Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are the recipients of grace. And so verse 10 is reminding us why we should do these things. But I want to say without grumbling. That's what verse 9 says. Show hospitality without grumbling. It's one thing if we say, my doors are open to you. And then when you go to bed and they go to bed, you're oh, can you believe these people are still here? Ah, and this kind of person that uh, is upset. Look. What this text is calling you to is be the people who show hospitality and like it. And like it. Not just, oh, i got to do it out of duty. No, I'm delighted in extra dishes. Yes! I'm delighted in extra towels. Woohoo! Extra linens. Amen! Right? We're the people that rejoice. Do you know why you should rejoice because of extra dishes and extra linens? It means someone is in your home for the sake of the gospel. I would rather have extra dishes and extra towels and extra bed sheets for the sake of the gospel than let them sit in the closet for months and months and months getting dust. Little extra work because of what God has done in our lives. Well, why should we be hospitable? Well, friend, as I tried to show you, God contributed to your needs. Let me show you God's hospitality to you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Who knew you would turn to so many Bible books today? I did. We want to couch it in the gospel again. So it's not just contributing to the needs of saints because we're good people. It's contributing because we're gospel people. And again, it's not just showing hospitality because we're good people. It's because we're gospel people. Look in Ephesians 2. Verse 11, 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, what? Household of God. Look at whose home you've been brought into, friends. Look at whose family you have been brought into. You're members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why are we hospitable? Because, friends, God has been hospitable toward us. Why do we bring people into our household? Because God has brought us into his household. This is gospel-driven hospitality. If you want to know why God did it, it tells you that back in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why did God do this? For his own glory, friends. He was hospitable for us. And if you want to be challenged by that, just think about how when Jesus came and was born in a manger and the fact that no one opened up their room for this pregnant woman. No one gave up their spot. And the Son of Man was born in a place where animals eat out of for his first bed. Think about what he endured that he might bring us into his place. Let me move on then to uh, why don't we do this? And I think fear and selfishness are two of the main reasons here as well. I think there are several fears. One has said there are a cluster of fears here. One is fear that people will just take too much time if they come over or if they stay here for a season. Fear that they will think you don't keep house very well. No secrets there. They might open that closet door or look in the kid's bedroom. Fear that they will mess up your house, your nice carpet and nice furniture and nice linens. Fear that they will be hard to talk to and conversations will be awkward. And so we go on and on in this fear, but Romans 12, 13 should liberate us. I had some questions that I propose that we sometimes deal with. A question such as, what if they steal? What if we bring them into our home and they steal from us? That was when we brought Vashanda and her family in after Katrina. That was a question. My response to you is this, friend. What do we have that God hasn't given us? So if they steal all our stuff, they're really not stealing our stuff, right? They're stealing his stuff. And if you see them still, then you just say, ooh, you're going to have to deal with daddy, right? They're not taking your stuff. They're taking his stuff. So you know what that means? I can let go of all stuff. I have the greatest treasure. What if they steal? Whatever I have is because I've been given. Number two, what if they stay a long time? Well, how long would you want the welcome to be extended, friend, if you had nowhere else to go? And I know, I know, we're the people that say, well, we don't want to enable laziness. I don't think we're as in much danger of enabling laziness as we are in danger of just being plain selfish. I don't think we're imbalanced enough yet to say, well, we're just empowering them to be lazy. 
What if they stay a long time? How long would you want to stay, friend, if you didn't have anywhere else to go? Number three, what if they harm my family? What if I bring them into my home and they harm my family? Well, the Spirit just gave me these verses. Do not fear he who kills the body, but he who kills the soul. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live again. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Do you treasure your family most? Or do you treasure Christ most? We don't have to live in fear if you know the one who's conquered death, friends. I wonder if we would be like Job. In Job 31, 32, here's what Job says. The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the wayfarer. If you hadn't read Job in a while, you should go back and be challenged. This brother says, I saw people in the street. I didn't let them stay there. I said, friend, come into my home. Friend, come into my home. That we would be like Job. I think that we should ask a different set of questions when it comes to hospitality. I think we should ask questions such as this. How can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home? How can I help them understand what God has done for me in the gospel by using these drywall, windows, roof, using this house? Number two, who might need reinforcements just now in the battle against loneliness? Who needs to come into my home? Because they need people. Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? People we could pour into for the sake of the gospel. What two or three people's complementary abilities might explode in a new ministry if they had two hours to brainstorm over dinner in my house? Friends, we want to be those who see our home as a strategic place for the gospel. Not as a place for us to close the garage door and go about the rest of our business unharmed by the people that are around us. Friends, the home is for the sake of the gospel. That's strategic hospitality, and we want to be those who display it. Let me challenge you in two ways, then, where we go from here with this. I've been challenged. If you are not in a home group on Wednesday nights, would that we would be the people who just intentionally have dinner with other families, be it Wednesday night, be it Thursday night, be it Friday night. You know what would be really incredible is if we just took our church directory with those pictures, and you say, I don't have one. We've got extra copies. You just picked families, and you called and invited them into your home for dinner to have fellowship and to do life together. Friends, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you, have people in your home. You say, well, we don't have a lot of money. Have soup. Have red beans. You can buy Blue Runner red beans at the store for a dollar something. Friends, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not having steak, you're having red beans, share red beans. That's what you have. Don't be shamed. Don't let our shame keep us from being obedient to this text. Have one another in each other's homes. I'm calling you to this for the sake of the body. But number two, another opportunity, we have international students that are here at LSU. And there are plenty of them that aren't going anywhere for Thanksgiving. Mandy's right here. Mandy, would you stand up? After the service, this is what Mandy looks like. She'll be wearing that. Mandy can help connect you with international students in your home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Easter, for Mardi Gras, for Celebrate International Student in Your Day, Tuesday, whatever it is, more than just the holidays, friends. 
she can intentionally connect us for the sake of the gospel. And I think us baptizing Wynn a few weeks ago is a testimony to having international students in our homes. She was in the home with the Currys and multiple people surrounding her with the gospel. Friends, that's what we want to be. So I want to encourage us. Let us have these students in. All right, let me bring these things to a close and just close with a quote by Jim Boyce. In reflection on verses 9 through 13, here's what Jim Boyce says. I do not know how anything can be more practical than this, to love one another, to honor one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another, to meet one another's needs is the very heart of applied Christianity. I've said to you before, I know maybe some of us are like, let's move on to what's next. Friends, there's no moving on. If we're not living Romans 12, we need not move on anywhere else. This is what it means to be the gospel community. So I think that's where we have to have a healthy perspective through the Spirit and His Word. Is Crosspoint living Romans 12? Are we living the 13 imperatives in Romans 12, 9 through verse 13? Are our families living it? If Crosspoint as a whole is living it, it's because our families are doing it. And are we doing it because it's the gospel flowing out of us? We can't keep from doing this. These aren't burdens. These aren't struggles. These are joys because of the great gospel radiating in our hearts. We want to do these things. This is who we are. I want to encourage us. Could we take some moments as we close out our time here to just pray and say, God, make these true in my family. Make these true in our church. And maybe we need to repent. And maybe some of us may need to repent to say, I've been selfish or I've been fearful or I just don't have compassion. Maybe we need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for not trusting you. And I'm sorry for not meditating on the gospel and letting that pour out of me. I'm sorry for not having the same heart for people as you have. I want to give you some time to pray silently in response to his truth, in response to Romans 12, and then I'll close us out in just a few moments in prayer. Father, as always, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that you have contributed to our greatest need to be reconciled to you. And you did so by sending your son. 
So that Romans 12.1 can say that we have received your mercies. And everything that follows in Romans 12 is because of your mercies. And Father, we are grateful because your mercies are new every day. We need them every morning and every noontime and every evening. We need your mercies all throughout the day. And thank you that they are endless but completely sufficient. Father, thank you for contributing to our greatest need. Father, thank you for being hospitable. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for bringing us into your household. You did not have to do that. You could have left us in our own sin. And Father, thanks for making peace through the blood of your son, Jesus. So now, Father, would you help us not to give because we're good people or host because we're good people, but because we're gospel people? Because the truth of your gospel sinks deep into our hearts and saturates our hearts and we understand the gospel more clearly week by week and thus our behavior reflects that. Not out of earning salvation, but in evidencing that your son is in our lives. Father, would you please help Crosspoint to be a Romans 12 church? If it's going to be a Romans 12 church, then our families have to be Romans 12 families. If our families are going to be Romans 12 families, then we need fathers and mothers that are leading in this. We need teenagers and children who are walking in these ways. Father, would you equip our moms and dads to lead their homes well? Would you help us to be those who see your word and do it? Help us not to be those who encounter your word and then go out from this place this afternoon as if we've not heard it. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Father, I pray that you would uh, hold this word in our hearts. I pray that you would produce fruit by your spirit and you would help us to live in these things. Show us opportunities even today that we might contribute to the needs of the saints or that we might be hospitable. And then give us the courage and the desire to follow through. May we experience great joy in obedience and in trusting you. Father, thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Byron, come.